one tribe, thank you for sending us your best. You've paid a price uh, in terms of some of the elders just moving on and everything else. You think, like, God, why do you do this all of a sudden? Why, why can't we just do this in stages? Um, but you've sent us your best. I know that. Heather and I know that. So thank you. Um, thank you for welcoming us today. Thank you for this connection. Um, just to say, church is meant to be a river, not an oasis. It's not meant to be a lake. It's meant to be a, a movement of water. So the comings and goings uh, is how the Holy Spirit works. And you sending it to another nation, that's church. Um, and even this, this morning, yeah, of course it's meant to be a place where we drink, encounter Jesus, feel his blessing coming to us and strengthening us in the way that he did in the worship. But if it stops here, there's a whole, whole community that you, you guys know and you live in it and you see it and you pray for it. And it's part of your vision to reach it. Unless it flows from here to there, what are we doing? And that's what we're gonna talk about. The day that changed the world. We're gonna to go to the end of Luke's gospel. So we're in uh, Advent season now um, and you're going to hopefully have a couple of Sundays where you're going to look at the coming and birth of Jesus um, but of course you can't separate that from the end of the story which is what we're going to look at this morning but it's all linked with Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to read a, a famous story um, and just go through it and then draw some application at the end. One of the things we need to re realize is that so much of what we know about Jesus, who he was, why he came, how he lived, what he did, comes from the gospel stories. They didn't write doctrine. They didn't write teaching. They didn't say, hey, we knew Jesus, and now I'm, we're going to tell you uh, some teaching. They include Jesus' teaching, but they just let it speak. They don't, don't give a commentary to that. Paul uh, and other New Testament writers, they got their truth, their understanding, when they went around in Acts, teaching and preaching from the Gospels. That's how they knew their stuff. They didn't have theological documents. They had the stories of what Jesus was. And this story, the day that changed the world, is a powerful story for us. So we're going to let the story speak. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you you're here. Thank you so much for one tribe. Thank you for the vision. Thank you for what they're building. Thank you for everything this represents. Thank you for every story here of your grace, of your love, of your mercy, of what's brought us together into this family. Because, Lord, this, this, this isn't a meeting. If this is a meeting, Lord, then, Lord, what's the point? But if this is family, if this is life beyond what we do today, then, Lord, it's beautiful and wonderful. So we thank you for that. But, Jesus, just as you've been so present with us in the worship, come and make your word live to us now. Lord, may this be an encounter Lord, I, I, I'll, I'll do what I can, but Holy Spirit, without you, this will just be a talk. It'll be a bit interesting, but it'll be a talk. But we don't need that, Lord. We can get loads of that everywhere. We need your power. We need fresh revelation and understanding. We need your word to come to us, Lord. The world is broken and it's getting worse. Lord, our news every day, there's another story, another story, another story. Lord, we all know people who are experiencing brokenness, injustice, and oppression. Lord, sometimes our own hearts break and think, how can we reach? What words can we say? But Jesus, we gather to you, because in the end, it's not just words, compassion ministries, it's you and knowing you. 
So Jesus, this is a story about encounter, but I pray we would encounter you. It wouldn't just be a story to us today, but it'd be a living demonstration of who you are and what you've called us to. Come, Holy Spirit, to each one of us. Come and be in the room. You're, you're here. But we pray like this just to say, yeah, Holy Spirit, we want you. Lord, I pray for anyone who finds it hard to pray that this morning because life has just been so difficult or so busy. And it's like, how, how can I find the word? I get the words of the preacher, but what does it mean? Lord, come to all of us, Lord, whether we feel able to pray this with faith or not. Come to us, Holy Spirit. Amen. The day that changed the world is the resurrection day, of course, because Jesus is risen, alive, never to die again. An amen at this point, please. Come on, help me out here. I go, I feel like I'm back in England. <laughs> where everyone just sits there and says, mmm, mmm, mmm. Check my phone, what's that? Mmm. <laughs> Jesus is alive. This is the day that changed the world. <laughs> completely changed history. Completely changed, if we're going to get theological, cosmology. It wasn't just about our salvation. It was about the breaking of the power of evil, sin, and death that had ruled the world and ruled God's creation and caused all the brokenness that we see around us and the sickness and the oppression and the injustice. And Jesus' death on the cross was breaking the power of that. And his resurrection was proof that he really was the Son of God. He was the one from heaven, not just a prophet or a teacher or a good man or a miracle worker. He was someone else because he came out three days later, having been on that brutal Roman cross, he came out alive, never ever to die again. He didn't go back to the grave like other resurrection uh, accounts uh, in the Gospels say where Jesus raised people to life or Lazarus, Jesus was never to die again because a few days later they see him taken up into the heaven. This is the day that changed the world. This is what we're talking about. We'll come back to the importance of that in a moment. Well, thank you. What happened before this point in the story is that some of the women had gone to the grave uh, to prepare the body because they weren't able to do that um, because of the Sabbath. They get there. You know what happened. The stones rolled away. The, Jesus isn't there. And then a couple of them encountered Jesus in, uh, alive again. And that beautiful line in one of the Gospels that says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Just sums everything up. They run back, say to the disciples, he's not dead, he's alive. The women do that. Guess what the men do? Really? <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's go and have a look. Peter and John have a race to get there. They see that it's empty. It's just as the women had said. So there is confusion. There's uncertainty. What's happened to him? How can he be alive? We've not seen anything like this. We saw what he did to Lazarus. But who's done this to Jesus? What's really happening? It's unclear. They're uncertain. After the story we're going to read, Jesus walks into the locked room and says, Peace, it's me. But meanwhile, there's this story. So Luke 24, verse 13. Now, the same day, the same day as the encounter in the garden, the resurrection where Jesus came alive, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. This is important. They're leaving. They're going away from the center. 
You read this as story, the story that Luke has been telling you is lots of things happen with Jesus in Galilee, then he comes to the center, which is Jerusalem. And it's where everything happens. And it's where the encounter with the authorities happen and the Pharisees and the religious rulers. Jerusalem is the center. It's the center for God's people. It's where the temple is. Jerusalem is everything about what God is doing. These people are leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving the center. They're going away from what has been the center of the story. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. It's interesting. There was something that Jesus wanted to do with them, which meant that they weren't going to get to recognize him just yet. But the picture is these men are walking away from everything that's gone on. And we get to find out why. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas, we don't get to name, know the name of the other. We just know the name of one. So who are these people? How important are they? How significant are they? Are they leaders? Are they people that Jesus wants to use in his church? We don't know. They're not in the twelve. We know that much. Listen to this. This is a great line. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Are you the only one who doesn't know? They don't know who he is. They can't recognize him. So they're saying to him, are you the only one? Now listen, he is the only one who knows what's happened in Jerusalem in these days. He's the only one that happened in that tomb. He's the only one who knows how the power of God came to him in his dead body and his lungs and his heart and his organs weren't working and life from heaven came and the power of God raised him to life again. And they think he's dead, killed, finished, over. Messiah? No, he isn't. Rome has won. The religious rulers have won. This story is set in the context of oppression and injustice and a ruling power, ruling where God said, hey, this is your land, but now Rome has taken it. And if Rome wants a slave, they'll knock on the door and they'll take it slaves. And if Rome wants the taxes up, they'll take the taxes up. And they're living in the land, but it's not their land. It's in the land of injustice and oppression. And when the Messiah came, or so they thought, he would overthrow Rome. He would take the land back. He would be the one that would rescue them and restore Israel and the prophets would be fulfilled. That's what they were hoping. And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know? Come on. I'm doing this. I know it's the Bible and it's holy, but there is humor here. He's the, yeah, thank you. At the back, he's the only one who knows. But they don't know that yet. So Jesus plays along. What things, he asks. This is fun. What things? Like he doesn't know. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers. There's pain here. For the sake of time, I haven't got time to go into it, but there's pain here. Our rulers. The very people who the Messiah should be received by. There's confusion, there's disappointment, there's betrayal. Our rulers handed him over. He he was a prophet. He's from God. If he's a prophet and from God, and before all the people, they're getting it too, why don't our rulers get it? So there's confusion, not just about Rome and pain from Rome, but also from their people. No wonder these guys are leaving. 
It's important that we get this because we know the end of the story. You're all sitting there thinking, yeah, we know how this ends. Come on, preacher. No, we need to, to get the power of how this ends, we need to get the pain, the disappointment, and the questions that cause these two to leave and go. And they crucified him. Listen, verse 21. But we had hoped. There it is. We had hoped. Now surely those are, those are words every single one of you can recognize. We had hoped this prayer would be answered. We had hoped this marriage would be okay. We had hoped when we prayed for healing, that healing would come. We had hoped that when we took that financial step of faith, that God would come through for us. We had hoped for our children. We had hoped for our nation. We had hoped for the church. We had hope. We had hope. We had hope. That he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this take, took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Okay, guy, yeah, come on, guys, we've got to take this, all right? You got to take, we're going to enter this story and do it properly. Guys, you take it, women, you enjoy it. Same old story, eh? Is this okay, Heather? Is this what you wanted me to say? They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the woman said. Women, yes. Just as we said, told you so. <laughs> it's getting louder on the front row here. Can we have some prayer? <laughs> told you so. Come on, guys. Visions of angels, he is alive. Some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just like that. They didn't see Jesus. He said to them, it's beginning to change. It's beginning to turn. Are you the only one who doesn't know? And now he's going to tell them what he does know. How foolish you are. How slow to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That would have been a conversation to join him. Imagine sitting down with Jesus, saying, come on, Jesus, open up the book. Open up the law to us. All the bits, if we're doing a daily Bible reading plan through the year, they want to skip past. Leviticus, Numbers, goodness. Why, why do I want to know what to do with a dead donkey? What's, what's that got to do with it? And, and all these rules and laws. Jesus took them through the law and the prophets and said, look, this points to the Messiah, this points to the Messiah. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, but they still don't realize it's him. Even though he's explaining it, it's about him. It's about their walking companion. It's about this stranger who actually is a friend. It's about, uh, <coughs> they don't recognize, they don't see it. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on. <laughs> Jesus is having fun here. Hey guys, what are you talking about? What's going on? Still doesn't tell them. It's Middle East, so you're not going to let a stranger walk past your house at night. You're going to invite him in. It's just straightforward. That's how it is. The stranger doesn't say no. The stranger accepts it. So Jesus is being countercultural. He's having a game. He's doing something. She says, no, I'm going to go on. Go where? <laughs> go on to the next village at night, this time of night. Stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, here we go, he took bread. He's not the host. Actually, he is. 
He's not the one giving the meal. They are. He's their guest. But actually, we're his guests. Because he's the bread of life. He's the one that has food for us. That's the reason we're here. Because only Jesus has bread that satisfies our souls. And the story's about to change. And everything is about to become clear. Kind of. He took bread. He gave thanks. Broke it. And began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. I wonder when they last saw him break bread. Were they part of the crowd? Was there more than the disciples in the room when they broke bread together the day before he was crucified? We don't know. Did the disciples tell them, hey, this is what happened. We were with Jesus last night. He broke bread. Were they there at the feeding of the 5,000 where it says Jesus took bread, lifted it to heaven and broke it? They must have seen Jesus break bread before. Because as he broke bread, they recognized him. As he broke bread, their eyes were open. They realized who he was. This is the one who broke bread before he died. And now this is the one who's breaking bread and he is alive. That's a good line. Some amens. Thank you. I'm having fun. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And the fun continues. And he disappeared. So you walk with them that whole journey. You ask them questions. Their eyes are kept from seeing you and knowing you and understanding. You give them an awesome scripture study from the Old Testament of who you are and what's going on and what's happening. You pray a prayer, breaking bread. Their eyes are open. They get it. Now's the time, Jesus, to pray together, to explain to them, to give them hope, to do anything, Jesus. Just don't disappear. Why has he disappeared? I'll answer that in a minute. Why is it this? What's going on? The fun, the drama, the emotion continue. It's Jesus. Hey, Cephas, it's (laughs) Jesus. Cephas, just um, help me out. You can be Cephas, okay? Just help me out. That hard. You enjoyed that. Just check. Am I asleep? Am I dreaming? Is this a vision? He's just disappeared. He's alive. It's him. Then they say this. Oh. Were not our hearts burning with us when he talked with us on the road? Something happened in our hearts. Something happened in our spirit. There was fire as he was talking with us, opening up the scriptures, explaining what had to happen. Still their eyes were closed, but their hearts were on fire. Just to throw this in at this point. Jesus has said he's with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Whether you can see him or not, whether you can feel him or not, Whether your prayers are getting answered or not, he's with you on the road. The resurrected Jesus is with you, brothers and sisters. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're doing, he is with you. He was with these brothers in their hope and their despair. They just couldn't see it. So many of us have testimonies like that. If you're feeling, hey, all my prayers, I'm not sure they get off the roof. Where is he? It's a long time since I encountered his peace or encountered his love. It does not mean he's not with you. It does not mean he's not walking. Okay, we've got to go. They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. Remember, it was late. They were trying to rest. It's not safe to be on the roads, but hey, their hearts are on fire. They've seen the risen Jesus. They need to tell their friends. They've got a story to tell. The women were right. Yeah? Always. I'm not going there. (laughs) 
There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. Um, so, so they were saying, the Lord has risen, he's appeared to Simon. So they get back to Jerusalem to find that Simon Peter is also saying, I've seen him. <coughs> so everything's getting joined up. And the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. We're going to finish there, but the story goes on while they're having that conversation. The door is locked. They're all there. They're swapping stories. What does this mean? Uh, is he really alive? What happened when you saw him? When he disappeared? How do you know it was really him? They'd have had that conversation, okay? How do you know? He disappeared, so where is he now? And at that moment, maybe even as that question was asked, because Jesus is having a fun day, he appears in front of them and says peace. Which isn't just a greeting of, hey, peace, shalom, salam, which is where that comes from. It's a declaration of the victory that he has won. That's another Sunday. Let's look at this story a little bit more in the few minutes we've got left. I said this is the day that changed the world. What happens this day and the way that Luke is telling the story is really, really important because it tells us, and if you're doing the slides, here's your cue, what kind of king this is. Because this is incredible. You see, if I was Jesus and I had defeated death, and three days before, I'd faced the taunts of, you're the king of the Jews, you saved others, you can't face yourself, and people are spitting at you, and people are cursing you, and the Roman authorities have handed you over to death, and your own rulers and scribes and Pharisees are not receiving you. If I was Jesus, and I came alive, and I walked out of that tomb, I'd have a few other conversations. I'd go to a few other places. Ah, oh, morning, pilot. Remember me? Last time we saw each other? Yeah. Spat at, whipped. Your soldiers told you I was dead because they put the spear here and... Yeah, well, surprise. Ah, uh, pilot, you're not looking too well. Take a seat. Or, morning, Herod. Gosh, it is a shock, isn't it? You didn't expect to see me. <laughs> and you're the king, Herod. <laughs> really? Who have you defeated, Herod? Who have you fought? I fought death, and I'm alive. Let's have a conversation about who the king is again, Herod. King of the Jews? I am king of the world. Thank you. Come on, guys. But why settle for Pilate and Herod? I'd do another one. Morning, Caesar. Just popped over from Jerusalem. That little backwater place that you've got a few troops looking after. And you want everyone to say, Caesar is Lord. Lord over everything, Lord over everywhere, that Rome puts its boot and its power and its army. Hey, Caesar, you've won some incredible victories. How are you doing on defeating death? How are you doing on kind of lying in the tomb for three days and coming alive again? Because I've done that, Caesar, and you're looking pretty power right now because I've got more power, <coughs> more angels, more anointing, and God with me from heaven because I am alive having defeated death, Caesar. So get off your throne because I'm coming and I'm going to rule where Rome ruled and I'm going to give my land back and I'm going to see justice and mercy come, Caesar, because you're making a mess of it. That's what I would do. But he's not that kind of king. You don't find him going to the palace. You don't find him going to the powerful. You don't find him going to the ones who put him on the cross. You don't find him overthrowing the, the injustice and the oppression and the sin and the wickedness and the evil in the way that you and I would think he would. 
Where do you find Jesus on the most important day in history? And the day that changed the world? You find him walking down the road with two people who have left, feeling hopeless, disappointed, and confused because they thought this, this, and this. Our King, Jesus, has come for the lost, the confused, the disappointed, the weak, those who are on the edge. See, if Jesus was coming as a political king and a political kingdom, this story would be told differently. That's where I'm getting this from. You go in the chapters before, and Pilate and Rome and the rulers and Herod, the people of power, they're all over the story. And now they're gone. They don't matter. You know in any story <clears throat> to follow it through and follow the main characters and to the twists and turns of a good film, a good book, good piece of literature, you know how it works in terms of positioning the characters and everything else. Luke is positioning the characters to say the political kingdom, the military kingdom, that's not what Jesus came for. Because what Jesus did on the resurrection day where he could do anything and see anybody and no one could stop him and he could go through locked doors and he could cover distances in a few minutes because he was resurrected. One of the reasons why he suddenly disappears is to show that yes, he's alive, but it's not just an earthly biological resurrection. It's a supernatural eternal life resurrection. That's why he disappears. He doesn't give him a lecture about it. And I just want you to know, understand some of the kind of physiology that's going on here. Yes, you can touch me, but hey, look, I can walk through the wall. He just does it. He doesn't explain this is eternal life, new creation body. He just disappears to let them work that out. That this is resurrection life now that they're touching. Our king is a king who walks along the road with those who are disappointed and confused and has questions and want to know what's going on. That's why I'm here. And that's why you're here. He's not come for the rich and the powerful. Those of us who are, we're blessed that he found us. But he's come to bring mercy to the broken, the lost and the confused. That's what one tribe's here for. That's what the gospel's here for. That's why you do all the things you do. Because that's our king. Next. If I was Jesus, or at least if he gave us a chance to manage his reappearance, I'd have said, hey, hey Jesus, let's just, let's just plan some things out here. You're alive. It's amazing. It's amazing. But there's some social media stuff we need to talk about. So just give us some time. We're going to get the cameras in. And, and we need to do some stuff on YouTube. We need to do some stuff on Facebook and Instagram. Slowly they're dying, so we definitely need to get to TikTok. But if we could just do some of this stuff and get this message out. Now, for those of you thinking social media, okay, it's good fun, Andy. Let's do it this way. Jesus, look, it's great you've just come to us. There's just a few of us here. Just give us, a, give us another day. We'll get the stadium downtown. We'll get the amphitheater. We'll get the word out, we'll put some posters up, we'll just network, we'll use all our contacts, and we will fill the stadium. Because the world needs to know this, Jesus. Because Rome needs to know this. Your people need to know this. Jesus, we can fill a stadium with this. And when we've done Jerusalem, we can go on tour. Resurrected Jesus on tour. How does it sound, Jesus? Why do you not do that? 
The world needs to know this. That's what I'd have done. Why? Because the gospel is about a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. The gospel is powerful. It's revolutionary. This day changed history. But the way God and his son Jesus wants you to know that is not in an impersonal way where you go to a massive meeting and see in the distance a savior who's risen, but as someone who walks with you along the road, as someone who opens your eyes as you have a meal with him, as someone who's with you as you read the word and he teaches and explains. The point of the resurrection isn't simply a doctrine to be lived or a, a statement to be sung about or something we praise him for. Of course, it's all of those things. It's the most powerful doctrine. Without it, we don't have anything. There is no Christianity. What the resurrection truth is, is a personal encounter with the Jesus who is alive. It was never meant just to be a doctrine. It was never meant just to be a creed. It was never meant just to be something we sing about. It's something that you and I know every day because Emmanuel, God with us. And if you're running dry at the moment, and if your love for him is just withering down because there's been some pain, difficulty, busyness, or you've not been doing too good, you need an encounter with the risen Jesus. Because that's what this is teaching us. However much we want to fit a stadium, however much we long for Nairobi and Kenya to, to know the power of Jesus, it's through personal encounter more than anything else. Now, people can encounter him through big meetings, stadiums, crusades, all that stuff that goes on. I know that. But get the power of what Jesus does here, that Jesus wants to come, not just in the big meeting, but come with the personal and walk with you and encounter you. And when you're weeping for your kids, because it's like tearing my hair out. This is my story, okay? Literally, tore my hair out. <laughs> come on, catch up. We've got five. They're all leaders. Yeah, thank you, brother. Yeah, we go to the same hairdresser. <laughs> and it's like, I'm just trying to be a good mum. Just trying to be a good father, but I've just got to get so much money in the bank and I'm not seeing the kids. And You need an encounter with the risen Jesus. Because that's what these boys needed. That's what these brothers needed. The resurrection life of Jesus, the resurrection truth, the resurrection story is meant to be an encounter, not only a doctrine or a song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if it's been a while since you encountered him, before we finish, we'll pray, just as we did in the worship. That's what was going on in the worship. It wasn't just a nice pastoral moment. It's creating opportunities for the gathered church to encounter the resurrected Christ. One tribe, you exist for this one truth. Jesus is alive. If he was dead, if he hadn't done this thing, you wouldn't exist. The church as a community is meant to be the demonstration of Jesus is alive. That's what we're here for. That's our message. And however much scientists and, and philosophers and everybody else rubbish the claim, I think you really believe a dead man came to life and he's still alive today? Yes, I do. Show me the proof. It's here. Because I encountered him. He talks with me. He's answered prayer. He didn't answer prayer. I was crying. His peace filled my heart. And he's still not answered my prayer. But he still came to me. That's the resurrected Jesus. That's our story. That's our testimony. We have nothing else. 
It's good to do the apologetics thing and to be answer some of the questions. It's good if it stimulates you and you're that kind of person who can come up with good scientific discussions and arguments. We need that. But at the end of the day, that's not what wins. What wins is Jesus is alive and you met him and he turned your life around and you daily walk with him and know him and encounter him. That's what the church is meant to be. And when it's hard and difficult, the church gets around and says, come on, we'll help you find Jesus and know him. We'll help you see that he's with you. Get your eyes open. And maybe we'll break bread together so you can encounter him because that's what communion's meant to be. That's another preach, but another opportunity to encounter the risen Savior, Jesus, because we have nothing else. That's what he wanted them to know that day. That's why he didn't come on. That's why he didn't go to a stadium. That's why he didn't go on the media. That's why he didn't go to Herod, Pilate, or Caesar. But he walked with the broken, the confused, those who thought and had had hope. And the way, so here we go, let's try and land. The way that he wants this message to go is the same way that he came to them. That's how the world knows. That's why he did it. Because a few verses later, depending which gospel you're in, he's going to send them into the world with this message. He's alive and we met him. He's the healer because he healed us. He's more powerful than the political kings because he came to life again after the political kings put him on the cross. And the way the world knows is through you. I know you know this, but it's so powerful. That's why these guys have come to Cairo. There's some good things in the city. They've got a nice home. But honestly, if you want to prosper your life, Cairo's not the kind of place you go for a career move or for a peaceful life. It really isn't. There's over 20 million people and probably more cars. Anyway, I'll get off that. But that, that's why they went. Because of this story. And one tribe, this is your story. A king, I'll just remember there's another slide. I'm going to be quick. So we're moving on to it now. The king who we follow. Following Jesus isn't about primarily believing a statement of doctrines and beliefs. It's about our lives looking like his life. If you say to me today, you follow the king, I don't want to hear about a doctrine or a belief or a creed. I want to hear about when did you cross the line and go to someone who needed hope or needed forgiveness or needed mercy? When were you hanging out with people that weren't like you, with people that you had to take some time and energy to learn how to talk to? This is beautiful. I love standing here and seeing what this is. What's it like in your homes? What's it like in terms of how you express mercy to people who need mercy? I know it's busy. I know we're all chasing, just trying to keep up with life. I see that every day in Cairo when I walk the streets. Oh, it's oppressive. People just trying to chase how they live. And I know for us and for many of you, it's similar. Blessed to be a blessing, Jesus comes to us and then says, now follow me, because I'm going here to this family, to this couple, to this demographic, to this ethnicity, to this neighborhood. One tribe, are you going? Are you coming? I know you are, but this is for all of you. And may Sundays reflect that, not just as we worship, but in the conversations afterwards. Go across the room to someone incredibly different from you. Live it out here so you can live it out there. Please, I've been a pastor for years. I'm going off script now. I've been a pastor for years, it's been a privilege and an honor, but I spent too, many, too much time in meetings. 
Jesus spoke to us to take us to Cairo. It was him. But one reason was, I don't want to just be in meetings anymore. I want to be among the hurt and the broken because Jesus has blessed me and enriched my life so much. If I really believe in a blessed, to be a blessing, then I've got to go. And so have you. That's the king we follow. And following him. Following him means we live different.